All right. Well, we're in a series called God's Promises. Usually we don't do topical stuff, but this is just a couple messages that I wanted to kind of share with you. And um, this one's out of Judges chapter 6. But you can also turn to Psalm 139 because I'll be reading that as well. Uh, And last week we looked at Psalm 145, you remember, and we talked about one of the secrets to living a, a promise-filled life, as far as a Christian goes, is having a good memory of really um, remembering what God has done for you over the span of your Christian life. And so we talked a little bit about how um, we have those waiting times in between, right? God promises something, but it's not always immediately fulfilled, and sometimes there's a season of waiting, and sometimes we, we don't see it fulfilled till glory, but that doesn't mean the promise isn't there. It's not true. And so when you make a, a, a point to remember what he's done for you in the past through journaling or through just recording your prayer requests and marking them off when they're, when they're answered, things like that, um, it, it really helps you in those down times. And uh, as you remember God's faithfulness in the past, we're able to look to the future with some expectation we talked about, joyful expectation, knowing that our God is faithful, and once again, he will prove to be faithful to us. And so we're not going to go into the whole message of last week, but I do want to call your attention to one. I'm just going to read it for you. You don't have to turn there. Psalm 145, verse 18 says this. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And that's Psalm 145, 18. And this is a promise that we want to consider today. The idea that God is what? He's with us. God is with us. And uh, he's always with us as his children. And what does that mean for us personally? How does that affect our daily decision making? How does it affect our daily life really? Uh, Most of us I think as believers would affirm the idea, the concept that, well, yeah, God is everywhere, right? Um, But we don't question that. And and that's what I was going to read for us now because of of verses like Psalm 139. And this is just a a good reminder of us of the presence of God. And Psalm 139 Uh, reads this way. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Uh, You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Speaks of the intimacy of our relationship with the Lord. Even before a word is on my tongue, the psalmist writes, Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. And then he confesses, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. I can't understand this kind of, of intimacy. Verse 7, he asks the question, where can I go from your spirit, Lord? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and light and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. 
For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in the mo- my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet not one of them, uh, and yet there was none of them yet. Uh, Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I mean, when you're depressed, if you're questioning the existence of God, if you're questioning the presence of God, you don't feel like God's there, read that psalm. Memorize that psalm if you can. It's a wonderful, wonderful psalm. And sometimes we do question the idea that God is with us. Do we not? I do. Sometimes I want to, God, where are you here? Come on, this is a pretty serious situation and you're not showing up, as some people say, which is ridiculous because God is everywhere. It always cracks my wife and I up. You know, somebody would go to a service and, and they'll come out. It's a blessing, you know. There's nice worship, good teaching. Boy, Jesus showed up tonight. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, doesn't he always? I mean, he's everywhere. It's kind of hard for him not to show up somewhere. Um, but we do, pre- we do question that, that presence of God sometimes. The idea that he's next to us, in our presence, right here, right now, wherever we may be because sometimes we're going through a trial sometimes we're going through a hardship and sometimes we act like we believe that god is everywhere but with us and we start the woe is me syndrome right Um, we don't feel his presence and so we question his presence but we don't live by our feelings do we we're not called to live by our feelings Uh, We don't easily see evidence of his presence around us, maybe. So we question the very fact, well, is God really there? And we're not called to live by what? Sight. We're called to live by what? Faith, right? Um, And sometimes those questions lead us to, I guess I would say, neglect his presence. Because God didn't go anywhere. He's still with us. The Holy Spirit resides within the heart of the believer, right? I mean, he goes everywhere we go. He doesn't, oh, you're going through a hard time. I'll, I'll, I'll check back with you a couple days. I'm going to take a vacation. for you. God doesn't do that. He's always with us. But when we don't see him, when we don't feel him, we tend to start to believe, well, maybe he's not there. And all of a sudden, we go through a week and we haven't even talked to God. Uh, and when we neglect his presence that way, we miss out on seeing his promises really come alive in our daily lives and so today we're going to look at this from the life of Gideon 
the life of Gideon. I know we went over Gideon when we went through the, the judges and everything uh, before, but this is taken from his early years, chapter 6 of Judges. And today we're going to look at this story, and you have to understand, this is taken early on, before he really establishes himself, God establishes him as one of uh, the greatest judges in, in the history of Judges. This is what this, this man became. He was one of the greatest judges that Israel had. And uh, when you look at some of the early life of Gideon, you might question, wow, is this guy really a leader? Because he seems kind of timid, frankly. He's got a timid personality. He's not a come into the room, take a charge kind of a guy. But something changed. And you wonder what's, what made this difference in Gideon's life. Uh, well, I believe it was the presence of God. I believe it was the presence of God. So look at Judges chapter 6, and I'm just going to read for us verses 11 through 21. And it talks about this story of Gideon, the, the call of Gideon. It says, And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, not Oprah, but Ophrah, <laughs> which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And I'll explain this for, uh, in a minute. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why, why then has all this happened to us? Why are we under attack constantly? Why is we're in fear of our life? And where are we... And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did the not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. We'll explain this in a minute. But verse 14 says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? kind of timid he's not saying yeah okay great this is awesome let's go do it no he's like i don't know if i want to go into this fight how can i save israel behold my clan is the weakest in manasseh and i am the least in my father's house isn't it like god just to use the things of you know the weak to confound the wise right the foolish to confound the wise the weak to, to destroy the strong that's how god works and he says in verse 16, And the Lord said to him, But I will be what? I will be with you. Key, key phrase in this whole text. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. In other words, I want to make sure this is the real deal. Verse 18, Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Wow. Verse 19, so Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah flour. And the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in the pot. And he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of, the, of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them, put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out 
the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and the fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. I mean, that, that's an incredible, that would be an incredible experience to have, right? And so as you begin here in this time of Israel, you have to understand the whole context of this. The time of judges in Israel's history, here there's no king, there's no real apparent leader in Israel, there's no centralized government for any, for any matter. Um, there's basically a, a confederation of 12 independent tribes. And the, the only thing that unites these 12 independent tribes is only their faith in the God of Abraham. They're all doing their own thing, but the one thing that unites them is their faith in the God of Abraham, the one who presented himself to Moses as the great I Am. So that's the one thing that held these, these people together. That's the commonality they had. And for a number of years, a number of, of nomadic tribes, including a group called the, the Midianites, what they would do is rather than stop and, and build up their little camp in one place, they'd go around and they'd steal from all the other tribes. They'd steal from the other people. And they had been invading Israel and depleting their supplies. And so they would wait and they would see the Israelites out there harvesting their crops, you know, uh, doing their grain and everything. And they'd say, okay, well, let's not take it now because they're not done yet. <laughs> you know, we're going to wait till they're all done and they store it away, then we'll go and steal it. I mean, these were smart enemies. Uh, why should they have to sweat, right? They would just go and take it from them. And that's what they did. And so they've been doing this over a period of years. And finally, the Israelites got smart enough to figure out that, you know what, we'll harvest the crop, but we're not going to process it out here in the open so that our enemy can look and say, oh, wait, no, they're almost done. You know, we'll go up in the caves. And so they, they made way up. They had to haul the stuff up in the caves and they would actually process it out of view of their enemies. So the enemy wouldn't know if they were doing it or not. So that way, at least they would maintain some from, from their own. They would thresh out the grain in secret. And this is what Gideon was doing when this angel appeared. That's why he was out there threshing this, this uh, grain out. And in verse 12, when it says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, or some translations say, O mighty warrior. Uh, and then this angel told Gideon that he would be the one to bring Israel to victory against these enemies. And you know, Gideon's probably like, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm the, I'm the weakest in my family, and we're the weakest tribe of all of them. I mean, we're not, a, we're not a, a valiant group here, Lord. And he had his doubts about that. But guess what? It happened just the way God said it would happen, as it always does, because God promised to be with him. And so God used Gideon in a great way, not only to save Israel from their enemies, but to really save Israel from themselves. And what was happening in Israel, because in the previous years, they had done a lot of evil in the sight of the Lord. They got off the, the path. They, they were doing things that were not honoring to the Lord. And before we condemn them too much, how many times do we do that? We get off and we start doing stuff. Oh, well, I shouldn't be doing this. And we get convicted and we confess and move on. But they've been doing this for years and they've done evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and Gideon basically led them as God's representative into a new era of obedience for the whole nation. But it all began with this angel of the Lord telling this, this young and frightened man 
I mean, whenever you encounter an angel of the Lord, you're going to be frightened, right? But what did the angel say? The, the angel said, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And I want us to know here tonight that that was very true in Gideon's case, but it's also very true in our case. The Lord is what? with us. The Lord is with us. It doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter where we go. He's not just everywhere. He's wherever you are. All the time. He is with you. That should mean something. You know, um, I remember going in, in, in certain areas where uh, when I worked with the Riverside County District Attorney's Office, the one thing one of my friends did, who was a police officer, he was a retired sheriff, and he was with the DA, he took me around his little Volkswagen bug and drove me around the Coachella Valley. And he said, whatever you do, don't come to these areas without someone with, because I, I didn't carry a gun. You know, you need a backup if you go to this area. Don't ever serve a subpoena out here in Desert Hot Springs. Or, you know, there's certain areas you just didn't go because it wasn't safe unless you had two or three cops with you. I mean, they wouldn't even go without a backup to these places. And, you know, there was a, a certain confidence, right, when you were sitting in a patrol car and you had another patrol car behind you and you were serving a subpoena and you had, you know, two or three armed policemen with you. It gave you a little more confidence to walk up to that door and knock on the door and say, yeah, district attorney, here's your subpoena, pal. You know, and if you're thinking of shooting me, look at these guys. You know, I mean, they got their guns and I didn't have a gun, but I felt more confident than going out there by myself. I, I did go out to one property when I was early starting, went out to a, a property way out beyond Desert Hot Springs in the desert. And I remember some of my friends were looking through my journal. It was like the second week I worked there. And they came by my cubicle and they said, hey, wh what have you been doing, Converse? You know, I said, oh, here, you know. So I showed them and they said, you went to this address? And I said, yeah. When did you go there? Said, well, last week. It was like my fourth day. And who went with you? Nobody. Are you crazy? We don't go there without, this guy's nuts. He'll shoot. I mean, he, they gave me the riot act. And they said, don't ever, you know, you need to ask us when you're going to these places. And the guy was surprised. He, I go, well, he was pretty nice. He was kind of surprised to see me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he, he, he definitely won't be surprised next time. He'll be waiting for you and probably shoot you in the head. <laughs> so don't go back there. But, you know, when you have that confidence that someone is with you that's going to support you, when God is with us, that's a promise that we can take to the bank every day. It doesn't matter what we're going through. Jesus promised us this, right? In Matthew 28, at the end, right before he ascended to heaven, he told his followers after his resurrection, right? What? And behold, I am what? With you always to the end of the age, to the end of the age. One translation, I just came across this and I like this. It's, the, it's in plain English, but it's the Aramaic Bible. I don't know how accurate it is, but here's what they said. I am with you every day, even until the end of time. That's true. That's a good translation. And even in the book of Hebrews, uh, the New Testament reminds us once again in Hebrews 13, 5. Uh, the writer says, uh, uh, never will I leave you, never will I what? Forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is a promise that God gives to us as his followers. We can count on this. We can experience the reality of this promise every day. This isn't something that you're always going to feel. It's not something that you're always going to see. You probably most likely will never see for sure, like the presence of God with you. 
But it is something that you can what? That you can know. That you can know for sure that God is with me. God is with us. And experiencing God's presence on a daily basis is really a matter of of making it a point to choose to acknowledge his presence. Because it's not a question of whether God is with you or not. It's a knowledge, it's a question of whether you're going to acknowledge his presence in your life, whether or not you feel him, whether or not you see him, whether or not you even experience him through the circumstances that you face. That's all irrelevant. The fact is, he's still with you. He's still with you. Um, and it's really a habit. It's a discipline that you, that you develop in your Christian life. The first thing you should do before your feet even hit the floor in the morning is say, God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your presence in my life. Thank you for no matter what I face today, good, bad, ugly, whatever it might be, you're going to be right there with me. And you should, at the end of the night, before you go to bed and you say your prayers in bed, Lord, thanks for your presence today. We have to start acknowledging the presence of God in our life. Psalm 1611 says this, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence, God says, is what? Is the fullness of joy in your right hand there are pleasures forever. You know, I see a lot of Christians walking around with their head down with this dark cloud over their life. Oh, I just hope Jesus will take me home, you know. Where's the joy in that? I mean, to me, it's kind of exciting to see what God's going to do next. It's kind of exciting to look at an election and go, man, what's going to happen? I mean, it could get way worse. Or it could get, we could get a reprieve. We don't know. You know, I mean, you even think of Natural disasters, earthquakes, fires, all this stuff. Yeah, they're all bad things. But how's God going to work through that? You know, you look at the southern border and what a tragedy it is with all these people suffering and everything. These people are just pouring into our country. They're not the enemy. These are people that, I mean, if you or I were living in their country, we'd do the same thing. (laughs) If the country's saying, sure, come, we'll give you free money, we'll give you cell phones, we'll fly in jets wherever you want to go. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? Because there's no consequences. I'm not saying it's right. But stop and think of the ministry that's happening. I pray that's happening on behalf of these illegal immigrants that are crossing the border. I'm, I'm praying that there's ministries down there ministering to them, giving the gospel to them. Somehow, God can turn that around. Or in Psalm 73, verse 28, the psalmist says, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. See, sometimes I believe as believers we're trying to run from God. You can't run from God. He's always with you. But sometimes we don't have our priorities right. Sometimes we want to do what we want to do. We don't want to do what God wants us to do. So we avoid Him because we don't like the conviction that his presence brings. But whether we avoid him or not, he's still there. Or in Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, and he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. You know, the presence of God is something that we should be celebrating every hour, every minute of every hour. I mean, really, think about it. The God who created you resides within you, and he's always with you. You can never leave him behind. You can't forget him. No, oh, I forgot God. I got to go home and get God. No, he's with you. He goes everywhere. He goes on vacation with you. 
He goes to work with you. He goes to leisure with you. All these things. And so in learning to develop this practice of practicing the presence of God in our life, there are really three called, three so-called permissions, I'll call them, that you can give yourself. Three permissions, and they're listed there in your outline. First of all, it's okay to wonder why. It's okay to wonder why. There's nothing wrong with asking God, why is this happening to me right now? Um, you know, the angel came to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you. And Gideon, in effect, said, okay, you know what, God? If you're with me, why are all these things happening? Why are our enemies coming stealing all our crops? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why, why do you continue to um, you know, allow this suffering to go on? I'm going to turn, down, or turn up the AC a little bit. Some of you look like you're freezing. <clears throat> so it, it's kind of an important, important subject to think about the presence of God. <clears throat> And, you know, he's probably telling, the, telling God, where are all these miracles that you told us our forefathers went through? I mean, you brought us out of Egypt. You did all this stuff, all this miraculous stuff. Well, where is it? Because the enemies are still coming and stealing our stuff, God, even though you're with me. That's how Gideon is feeling. And sometimes, as believers, we want to ask the same question on a, on a cultural level, even on a personal level. If God is with us, then why is everything such a mess? Why is the society the way it is? Why is my life the way it is? Why is this? You know, the angel didn't scold Gideon here. He didn't say, how dare you ask that question? He didn't tell him that. Um, how dare you, Gideon, ask why is everything a mess? He, 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 didn't, he didn't do that at all. But neither did he give an answer, if you notice the text. The angel really didn't answer the question. Why? Because it's irrelevant. Your circumstances are irrelevant to the presence of God. Instead of the answer to why, he gives Gideon the answer, basically, here's what's going to happen next. Stop focusing on your current situation, Gideon. Stop being traumatized by your life experience. Yeah, I get it. These enemies are coming and taking your stuff. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm not here. See, sometimes we think the suffering in our lives speaks of the voidness of God. Like, you know, we, 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 we speak this out sometimes. You know, we see somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, going through some suffering. Oh, I wonder what they did. You know, we, we kind of, th suffering is like God's discipline in their life. Now, it could be, but it's not always that way. Or, wow, that brother, he, he's got death notice. He's, he's going to be dead and six months. I wonder what he did. You know, that's how we think sometimes. And, and, and that's not usually the case, I will have to say. And so rather than the angel scold Gideon for this question, like, why is this happening? Um, he tells him, you're about to deliver Israel from the hand of your enemies. This is what he tells Gideon. And that was probably mind-blowing for, mind for him because he wasn't a, you know, they called him a mighty warrior, but he wasn't. He was, he was a rather timid individual. He didn't have a lot of confidence. And that shows me that it's okay to ask that question why. There's nothing wrong with asking the question why. But I want you to know that the most often the response will be in the form of not the answer to the question why, but that's irrelevant, but here's what's going to happen now. I get it. You're in a lot of pain. You're in a lot of suffering. 
you don't need to know why at this point. You just need to do. And here's what's going to happen next. And sometimes that's the way we have to think. It's okay um, to ask God that question. In other words, God will say, this is the action I'm challenging you to take. Don't worry about the why. Um, it, it's, it's okay to ask God, why don't you do something? There's nothing wrong with that question. Just be ready to hear back from God, Him say to you, you know what? I was about ready to ask you the same thing. <laughs> why don't you do something? Because that's usually what's going to happen. He's going to use you somehow in that situation. The angel could have said to Gideon, do you really want to know what, why this is happening? Do you really, you really want to know, Gideon? You don't understand. Your people have rebelled. They've done evil things in the sight of the Lord. You're getting what you deserve, pal. But he didn't do that. You know, they, they brought it on themselves. He didn't do that. Rather than dwelling on Israel's sin and misdeeds of the past, the angel told Gideon, here's what's going to happen next. You're going to deliver Israel from their enemy. It's okay to wonder why, but understand the response to your question will often be an invitation for you to take action in the situation. It's like, you know, the years of, I've been in church ministry, you always have people coming up and, hey, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we do this? Why don't we, and it's like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, you want me to do it? Well, I just thought it was a good idea. No, hey, you brought it up. <laughs> You must have been thinking about this. Go for it. We'll support you however, if it's a good idea, obviously. Well, I don't know. I've got to pray about it. Well, now you've got to pray about it, but you're quick to dump it on my lap? Wait, wait a minute. See, that's how we operate sometimes. And when God calls us to do something, we have to encounter this second permission to be granted. And, and a lot of times this is what we encounter. It's okay to question your qualifications. This is what Gideon did. He questioned his own qualifications. After Gideon asked, why are these things happening the way they are? The Bible says in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. So he didn't give him an answer. He just gave him a command. And Gideon's response was in effect, hey, wait a minute, uh, <laughs> Me? Really me? My family is the, the least of the tribes, and I'm the least in my family. I mean, I'm this little tiny, you know, peep squeep of a guy. I, I'm not a valor. I can't do this. No, no, no. In verse 16, the Lord answered and says, I will what? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Don't you know I created you? I know you're not Mr. Muscle Man. You're not some big, but you know what? I'm with you. That should, that should change things up a little bit. And he says, I will be with you, and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. Wow. That's a pretty bold claim for God to make. And the truth is, is that Gideon was right where God wanted him to be. At the exact right place. And right where God wants, you're right where God wants you to be as well. Um where you're not counting on your own credentials. You're not counting on your own skills. You're not relying on your, 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 your personal skills or, or your, your ability to deal with people or whatever, your own talent to do what he wants you to do. Because you know what? Whenever God calls us, he calls us, what? Beyond our own abilities. 
God says, I want you to do this. And, and our answer is, I can't. He's like, exactly. That's exactly where I want you. I want you to realize you cannot do this on your own. I want to make you totally dependent. I want you to be totally dependent on me. He calls us to do more than we're capable of doing in our own strength because he wants us to rely on whose strength? His strength. Why? Because then we give him glory. We don't march around with our, our chest popped out and our nose in the air going, look at me, look at how spiritual I am, look at all that I do. No. Our answer is simply what? By the grace of God. I don't know how this even works. Sometimes people will comment on, we put together worship in the, after the service. So, wow, you know, the worship, it was incredible. It just flowed with the message. And, and well, How do you do that? I don't know. I don't know. I go over to the piano and grab the computer and go, eh, I think I'll do this song this week. Oh, this one looks good. I, I like this song. I, we haven't done this in a while. And throw it all together and send it out. And then while I'm preaching, I'm going, wow, we just sang about this. Now, there is an advantage of the preacher being you know, the person that's doing the music. I see that. There would be a great probably disconnect if that wasn't the case. But I don't, it's not something that's planned. You know, I've talked to, to worship leaders that spend hours, hours. Oh, what songs to do? And it's like, yeah, it's pretty easy. I don't know. I don't know how. You know, I don't know. Hopefully it works. But it's not me. You know, it's definitely beyond my ability to do that. And that's what it's always, it's always been that way. From the very first church I served in, you know, I was in the very first church, First Baptist Church of Fremont. I was their youth pastor, their bus ministry director. I didn't even know what a bus ministry was when they hired me. And their music director. They had a choir. I didn't know what to do with a choir. <laughs> I had no idea. I didn't even barely read music at the time. But they hired me, and I just kind of figured it out over time. I guess you get up there to sing some songs. <laughs> okay, yeah, you guys sing that part. That sounds good. Oh, yeah, okay. Ladies, yeah, you sing the higher part. That sounds good. You know, I don't know harmony. I can't sing harmony. I mean, uh, I'm not a good singer. I, I, but God stretches us beyond our abilities to the point where we step back and go, okay, I don't know how this is working, but it is. So we're just going to trust God to allow it to continue to work because he wants us to rely on him. He is a God who says in Zechariah 4, 6, not by my might, nor by my power, but by my what? Spirit. Okay? But by my spirit, says the Lord. And, and I think that's very important that we understand that. It's the God spirit that works in us. And even Moses uh, thought the calling of God on his life was beyond his reach, right? Remember? when God called Moses, because Moses knew Moses. <laughs> he knew he couldn't speak. He knew he had issues with his speech. And he couldn't imagine being the one to lead the people out of Israel, or out of Egypt, the people of Israel out of Egypt. And remember what he asked God, who am I? Who am I that I should be able to accomplish such a great thing, God? I think he got the wrong guy. And God said to Moses what he said to Gideon in Exodus 3, I will be with you. I will be with you. And so the same is true for us. Don't ever balk at God stretching you. Don't ever balk at doing something that's maybe a little uncomfortable for you, whether it's socially or whether it's this or that. I mean, 
You know, there's a lot of things that are uncomfortable for me, but God kind of overrides that uncomfort. And wherever God may call you, wherever God may lead you, just understand that promise. He will be with you. It doesn't matter where it's at. And it's his presence that will make a difference in your life in the future. Um, Give yourself permission to question your own qualifications because every time you do, you're reminded that you know what? You cannot fulfill the calling of God on your own life in your own strength. You can't do it. It's impossible. If it is possible, you're probably doing it in the flesh. And everything that we do in the flesh is what? Sin. So we have to be very careful with that. We have to rely on the power of his presence. And that brings us to the last one here, the third one. It's okay to ask God to confirm his word. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, look at what Gideon did in verse 17. After Gideon was told what he would do, he said this, If now I have found favor in your eyes, God, Give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. He, what was he doing? He was questioning the word of God. He heard the word of God. God talked to him. And in the story, Gideon takes some rather elaborate steps here. He leaves the angel waiting. Can you imagine putting God on hold, the representative of God on hold? I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Uh, and he goes to the house. He roasts a goat and bakes some bread. I mean, you know, the angel's out there waiting for some time, apparently. And he comes back, and the angel does indeed give him a sign that basically says everything that he said was true. He touches the food, and it's consumed with fire, and it goes up in smoke. And at that, basically, Gideon steps back, and he goes, Okay, now I know what you're saying is true. Yeah, that's, that's a nice little show there, God. Uh, and later, Gideon asked for another confirmation. We, we know this. He placed a fleece, a wool covering, over the ground and prayed to God, saying, if you will use me to deliver Israel from the Midianites. So God already proved it to him once, but that wasn't enough. He says, take this fleece that I've laid on the ground, and tomorrow morning let it be covered with dew while the rest of the ground is dry. That would be a miracle. Right? That would be like laying a blanket on your front yard if you lived in the snow and all the snow just fell on the blanket. And everything else was dry. That would be weird. And when he woke up the next morning, the ground was dry and the fleece was wet. But that still wasn't enough to make sure that this wasn't a coincidence. <laughs> See, Gideon was not this adventurous kind of guy. You know, he wanted confirmation of everything. He prayed and did the opposite. Let the fleece be dry and the ground be wet. Next morning he woke up, the ground was wet, the fleece was dry. And the whole idea of laying out a fleece before the Lord really... Uh, you know, its own sermon there. I mean, that's, that's a whole other thing, but it's important to realize that, you know, he did just that. And I want to point out here that there's a key distinction here that Gideon was not asking God to reveal his will just out of the blue. Okay, sometimes you hear people, well, I'm going to, you know, God, if you want me to get this job, then let it rain tomorrow, or whatever. You know, they come up with crazy things. You know, God's not in that kind of business. But the whole idea of laying out a, a fleece before the Lord is, is just a asking him, asking God to confirm his word that was already spoken to him. He's not asking God for a new word. He's saying, hey, I just want to make double sure I'm listening to the right, right God here. Um, and sometimes when we're taking such a big step in faith, we should seek confirmation. I mean, the Bible not only from God, but from what? The Bible says there's wisdom in what? The multitude of counselors. 
right? And sometimes when we, we go and we make a decision on our own and we don't ask for anything, that's, that's, you're just asking for problems. And so you always want that confirmation. Confirmation is good if you're making the right decision. The problem comes when we want to make the decision more than we want the confirmation. We want what we want, and we don't want to hear what anybody has to say, so we don't ask because we know it's not going to be good, and we just go ahead and, and make the decision on our own, and then we end up in a world of hurt. We need to be sure that we have truly heard the confirmation of the voice of the Lord, and we understand the path that he's taking us on in such a big, a big thing. We, in receiving confirmation, we have the options that Gideon didn't have. We have what? The Word of God, right? So, you know, we have the Bible, which will confirm to us God's will for our life. A lot of people want to know exactly what God's will for their life is. Well, they need to start reading the Bible. They need to start studying the Bible because on every page, God's will is there. You know, it may not be specific to your life, but in general, I, I once heard, I think it was Pastor MacArthur, say, you know what, God has a, some basic things that we should be doing. We should be, we should be growing in our faith. We should be praying. We should be studying the Word of God. We should be attending church. You know, um, we should be serving Him in some capacity. And he had, like, I don't know, five or six things. And beyond that, do whatever you want. Do whatever's in your heart, because God gives you the desires of your heart. You know, you don't even have to pray about it. If you're doing the basic things in the Christian life, the basic Christian disciplines, God's not going to let you go down a path that's, that's wrong if you're really seeking to please him and not just yourself. And so we have spiritual leaders that we can turn to for wisdom and counsel and, and all those things. And sometimes God will direct events and outcomes to give you a clear confirmation. He does that even today. Uh, sometimes he doesn't. More often, he'll give you confirmation through his word and through other godly people that, you, that he has placed in your life. But it's okay to ask God for confirmation. So It's okay to say to God, you know what, I, I want to step out in faith in this decision, but I want to make sure that you're leading me down this path. It's not just my own thing. Um, it's not my own imagination. Give me some direction. God will answer that. He's there with you anyway. And so the idea that it's okay to wonder why, it's okay to question your qualifications, it's okay to ask God to confirm his word. You're not questioning whether it's true or not. You're just saying, hey, is this really where you're leading me? Um, it's possible because the God we serve is not elsewhere. He's with us all the time. He walks with you each day. Him says he talks with you through his word each day. He tells you that you are his very own. And as you bring this to the end here, I just want to take you back to the first words that the angel spoke to Gideon in verse 12. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, um, man of valor. Uh, when he, he called this timid young man, the least in his family, the least tribe, who's currently hiding in a cave, grinding wheat because he, didn't want, he was hiding from the enemy, in fear of the, the Midianites, you know. So this isn't somebody who's very bold with his stand. Um, and then he was calling him. He was called by God a mighty man of valor, a mighty warrior. What was God speaking to? God was speaking to Gideon's future, not his past, not even his, his present circumstances. See, and this is the, the neat thing in the Christian life, is, is that, he, you know, we, God doesn't call us by our past. He doesn't even call us by our future. He calls us by what he wants us to be and what he will turn us into as we continue to live for him each and every, each and every day. Uh, he spoke to Gideon, the man he would become. 
you could say it that way. Um, remember when Jesus, with his disciples, he called Simon, before he was named Peter, he called him, what, the rock, long before he really earned that name, right? He went through a lot of stuff after that. And God here called Gideon a mighty warrior before he ever even went to battle. And what qualified Gideon to be a mighty warrior? One simple phrase, that God was with him, the presence of God. And so the presence of the Lord in your life will bring the best um, out in you. Uh, that God is with us and he'll give us the power to do what needs to be done. He'll give us the ability to move in his will beyond our, our own imagination and even our limitations. And when we lack certainty, we can definitely um, ask God for, to give us a certainty and a confirmation that, that he will freely give us. And maybe later today, tonight or whatever, when you're sitting alone, um, maybe, maybe later in the week when you're at work and things are, you know, check your surroundings. Look, uh, look down at where your feet are planted and remind yourself, you know what, he's here with me. Maybe you're in a tough meeting at work and people are coming at you from all sides. You know what, God is here with me. Maybe you're dealing with emotions or family situations or finances or whatever it might be. God is here with me. And his presence in my life is sure to bring out the very, very, very best in me, just like it was in Gideon's life. I pray that that's encouraging for you tonight. And uh, we'll continue this uh, next week. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we do pray and thank you for the example of Gideon and his, his walk with you and his desire to really um, understand your presence in his life. And Father, he was a timid man, but he became someone who learned to trust you more and more, and you used him in a great way uh, with the nation of Israel. And so, Lord, we do pray that um, you would remind us that uh, even though sometimes we're not um, living the strongest Christian life, as maybe we should be, and we're not where we should be spiritually and all these things, Lord, there's always time to turn that around. We just need to... Uh, come to you and, and confess that and confess our mistrust in you and confess the fact that, you know what, we do take advantage of your presence is always with us. And, and sometimes we do not acknowledge that. And, and when we confess that, the Lord will, will definitely hear that and forgive that and you can move on from there. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just dismiss us tonight with your blessing. Pray for our conversation as we share around our tables. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.